Welcome to the Books Talk podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. This program was recorded at the Bennett Martin Public Library on November 7, 2018. Scott from the Bennett Martin Library portrays Detective Hercule Poirot as he presents information about mystery author Agatha Christie. Welcome to Take Two on the Mystery of Agatha Christie. Uh, this presentation is November 7, uh, 2018 at the Bennett Martin Library downtown. We are, we are once again enjoying the existence of evening hours, Monday through Thursday evenings. Uh, this presentation was given once before at the Gear Branch uh, in preparation for a play starring uh, Hercule Poirot, um, at the Community Playhouse here in Lincoln, across the parking lot from Gear. Uh, we produced that play for three consecutive weeks, and it was an experiment in local theater in that at the same time that we were doing black copy here in Lincoln, uh, in Beatrice, at the Beatrice uh, Community Theater, they were doing A Murder is Announced, which is a play featuring Miss Marple. Uh, and the middle week of the black copy Hercule Poirot production, went to Beatrice and did our play on their stage. And the final week of their play at the same time came to the Lincoln stage and did A Murder is Announced. So this was a first for local Lincoln uh, theater um, or the Lincoln area or even, uh, as far as we can tell, Nebraska theater, um, a swap between two casts on two sets that were identical enough that we could do that. Um, so we were excited to participate in that. As part of it in preparation for promoting that and promoting Agatha Christie in general, uh, I was asked if there was any chance as a library employee I would be willing to do a book talk and yeah I did one. So here it is again uh, on the repeat uh, for those of you who may have missed it the first time. Uh, I do have a prepared slideshow on PowerPoint um, however I have some bullet points which I will hit first including um, pointing out some of the books that we have available. Back on those tables one table you will find books about Agatha Christie and some of the people associated with her and her works. The other table is all her mystery novels and one example of her romance novels. There are also DVDs with several of the performers who have done both Marple and Poirot interpretations for film um, and uh, television. Uh, there are also a number of handouts which you have probably already seen, so I will not go into great detail on those except to say that my favorite is the complete Agatha Christie checklist, uh, which basically gives you an opportunity to see which Christie's you have read and which you might still need to track down. The library does not have all of them, I am sad to say. I did do some research on that and there are a few titles that are, are not in our collection. One of the handouts was a selection of materials in nonfiction about Christie, about the making of her TV shows and movies and things like that. Um, we have about half of those and the handout should explain which ones we may not have in our collection. And I do hi highly encourage you to track down some of those. Some of those, as I said, are on the table. My favorite has to be, of course, I will go get it because it is so cute. Little Grey Cells, the quotable Poirot, of course, that is my favorite. Why else would it um, be on my display? Um, it is a wonderful little collection of quotes from some of the novels and short stories featuring the Poirot character. Among the things that I have on this card here at the front of the um, room are some things that 
The library does have some of these, um, but they were just checked out, and some of them are from my personal collection, and I will get to them when we do later in the slideshow notes, but I would point out there was a brand new as of about a year and a half ago in England, and um, just about nine months ago here in the U.S., Agatha Christie, A Mysterious Life by Laura Thompson, an official biography. She had access to all of Agatha's papers and uh, family cooperation. I do highly recommend that. It is a little dry, but it is interesting if you like Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie wrote her own autobiography over the course of about a dozen years. She completed it almost a dozen years before she passed away, so the, her own autobiography does not cover the last dozen years of her life. However, uh, we do have this in a hardback, the uh, purplish, pinkish colored one back there. Uh, my copy happens to be one of the original paperbacks. Uh, we also have a collection in hardback in the library's collection of the Mousetrap and Other Plays. Uh, if you were not aware of it, um, she was a playwright. She wrote 16 produced plays in her lifetime. Um, and of those 16, eight are in this collection. This is my copy. However, the hardback, um, we have two copies in the library, one of which I left on the Agatha Christie book display, which is down on first floor. This is a very quirky one. Agatha Christie, A Life in Theater by Julius Green, which came out just a couple of years ago. and. I just mentioned that she was a playwright. Well, this book um, looks at her life exclusively from the point of view of her playwriting. It does not touch on her mystery novels, her romance novels. It focuses entirely on uh, the playwriting that she did. She um, wrote several plays before one was actually even produced. Um, however, the majority of her work was in the 1950s and 1960s. This, if you like, um, Hercule, uh, is an essential volume. It is Hercule Poirot, the complete short stories. The library has one copy in circulation, which is currently checked out. Um, but it is a marvelous little collection with approximately 52 short stories in it, which is the entirety of the short story output um, that she had for that particular character. There were 34 novels, of course. Um, but that is, of all the short stories that she wrote, uh, he, she wrote more featuring Poirot than any other of her characters. Uh, next to last is a oddity, which I will hit on in our slideshow, and that is um, she was a member of a group that she helped found called the Detection Club, uh, which was a bunch of mystery writers, mostly British. Um, over the years, Americans have been added, but they, as a part of a fundraising thing and just as a matter of fun, they put out several mystery novels which were group efforts. Somebody would start it with the first chapter and pass it on to uh, the next author and next author and next author. And the one requirement was that they, in addition to writing their own chapter to continue the story, they also had to write a concluding chapter that explained what the mystery was from their point of view as a writer, which of course necessarily would not match up with all the other writers. But The Floating Admiral was the first of those combined novels and has not only the novel chapter by chapter, but everybody's conclusions at the end of it. So that is an interesting experiment. And last but not least among the things I have at the front is a 50th anniversary booklet put out to celebrate the mousetrap airing on the stage in England. It um, launched in 1952 as a play, and to this day is still on the stage in England. It is the longest running play in um, theater history. Uh, and every few years, there's another five-year anniversary, and they have a big celebration. They are at 66 years right now, and I was able to track down this 50th anniversary collective, collectible volume. If you'd like to browse it before the evening is done, feel free to come up. There's all sorts of beautiful photos, um, including complete cast lists for every year's production of the play. So.
with that, I will begin our slideshow. I have a little narration to go with it, including some quotes to throw in. Some general statistics to be aware of. Uh, Agatha Christie was born on September 15, 1890, and died on January 12, 1976, at the age of 85. She published 66 detective novels, plus six romance novels under the name Mary Westmacott. Of the 66 detective novels, 34 are Poirot, 12 are Marple, the rest are standalone and have no connections to anything else. She wrote 14 short story collections over her um, career, a total of 165 short stories altogether. Um, depending on how you interpret them, there are either 50 or 52 Poirot stories and 24 Marple stories. The rest um, feature characters such as Tommy and Tuppence and Parker Pine and other of her recurring characters, as well as many standalones. Uh, she wrote 16 stage plays, a single one, a single three-act play with Hercule Poirot as the central character, Black Coffee, which was her first produced play. It was the first to make it to the stage. Uh, the rest of her other 15 stage plays feature no recurring characters. In fact, the um, success of Black Coffee was kind of mixed at the time that it first came out in 1930. And she ultimately decided that Hercule Poirot as a character was too, drew too much focus from the audience. Uh, she, the, the people, when he would come on the stage, would only pay attention to him and not to any of her other wonderful characters. And so she pulled Hercule out of four other Poirot novels, turned those novels into plays, and substituted other nondescript detectives in the place of Hercule Poirot. Um, so there are actually five Poirot plays, only one with Poirot in them. There are also um, seven radio or television plays that she created over time, two of which uh, feature Poirot. They are like short, shorter than even a single one-act play would normally be. Uh, they would air during like a half-hour time period on the radio. She wrote six non-fiction works, including travelogues, which I will get to in the slideshow, uh, also including her autobiography and a volume of poetry of all humans. She has had worldwide sales of over two billion copies of her works, making her, in the English language, the third most successful um, publishing writer. The two that preceded her are Shakespeare and the Bible. Those are the only two things that have sold more copies in the English language throughout the world. She has also um, holds a record as the most translated English author. One of her works has been translated into at least 134 different languages around the world. Poirot has been played on television and film by nine actors. A tenth will join us in 2019. Miss Marple has been portrayed on TV and film by seven different actresses. And Tommy and Tuppence, her next most popular characters, have been portrayed in TV and film by three different couples over time. With that, we will launch into our slideshow. Agatha Christie was born as Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller in the family home Ashfield in Torquay in Devon of England. Uh, Ashfield is a home that was purchased by her mother with her mother's own inheritance money when her father uh, had basically been away on a business trip. Uh, her mother had um, basically inherited a bunch of uh, money from uh, a distant relative and without even consulting with anyone decided she wanted to set up a home. So she bought Ashfield and moved the family into it and when the husband, her husband returned from a trip he had to like go to this new home that he suddenly had that he was not expecting. The family was a upper middle class family who lived in Torquay, which is a harbor or port city 
on the southern edge of England. You can see in the larger map uh, where it is in comparison to London on the full country map. Uh, it was a thriving fort at the time that she was born. Her mother was Clara. Clara was born in Belfast and was raised by an aunt after her own father had passed away when she was nine years old. Um, she was a quirky personality and eventually married Frederick Alva Miller, an American businessman uh, who traveled a lot throughout England and, and had business interests in England, but originally came from America. And they uh, married in 1878. They had three children, of which Agatha was the third. The first was Margaret Frary Miller, um, who went by the nickname Madge, who was born in 1879. Louis Monty Miller was born in 1880, and Agatha came 10 years later in 1890. She describes her childhood um, as being a very positive one. We were like obstreperous flowers, often weeds maybe, but nevertheless all of us growing exuberantly, pressing violently up through cracks in pavements and flagstones, and in the most inauspicious places, determined to have our fill of life and enjoy ourselves, bursting out into the sunlight until someone came and trod on us. Even bruised for a time, we would soon lift a head again. Agatha describes her childhood as a happy childhood surrounded by a series of strong and independent women from a very young age. One of the luckiest things that can happen to you in life is to have a happy childhood. I had a very happy childhood. <clears throat> Oddly enough, despite having put her previous two siblings through the normal educational processes, her parents decided to do something different with Agatha. Uh, they decided to go away with the formal schooling and um, father was going to homeschool her with her mother, not intending to teach Agatha, Agatha how to read and write until age eight. Agatha would have none of that and taught herself how to read beginning at age four because she was bored out of her mind and hanging around the house and not having any children near with her um, and not having classes to go to. So she actually learned how to read on her own, um, although she did have to learn how to write with some assistance. Um, once she did start uh, beginning to get education in various areas, she particularly enjoyed mathematics, oddly enough. She was a voracious reader, enjoying the children's books attributed to Mrs. Molesworth and Edith Nesbitt's titles, The Story of the Treasure Seekers, The Phoenix and the Carpet, and The Real Railway Children. She also read the surreal verse of Edward Lear and Lewis Carroll and enjoyed it very much. I am today the same person, she writes as an adult, I am today the same person as that solemn little girl with pale flaxen sausage curls, the house in which the spirit dwells, grows, develops instincts and tastes and emotions and intellectual capacities, but I myself, the true Agatha, am the same as when I was a child. That map of Paris, or of France, is to illustrate the fact that after trying to put her through a regular boarding school in England, which was not working, they sent her overseas to France, where she was educated uh, in several pensions in Paris, Mademoiselle Cabernet's, Les Marronnières, and Miss Drysdens. Included amongst her studies were dance, piano, and singing, including dance here. Uh, Agatha was an accomplished pianist, 
and could have played professionally later on her life, but her shyness prevented her from playing in front of anyone she did not personally know. Uh, she also enjoyed singing, and her uh, mother uh, really tried to pursue that with her as a potential career path. However, when she was brought before a professional singer to get advice on whether she had potential, she said, you have a lovely voice, but you will never make it as a singer professionally, and she simply stopped singing for the rest of her life. Uh, however, she did continue to play piano for uh, both of her husbands later in her life. This is a shot of Empire Days in Torquay, a celebration of the British Empire and um, its, its land holdings throughout the world. Uh, this is actually from a year that Agatha would have attended the celebration, approximately uh, 1905. Her father died when she was only 12 years old, and she considered that to be the end of her um, childhood. At that point, uh, she sort of became the mother to her own mother, even though she was only 12 years old at that point. Her mother developed various health concerns, including uh, lung issues, and had to spend quite a bit of time in drier climates. So they would spend time in Cairo and go on uh, various exhibitions um, and go to various digs. Uh, I, this is just an example of the type of shot of the kinds of groups that she would have been a part of. She is not actually in this one, but um, this is from that same time period and was the kind of lifestyle that she was enjoying at that point in time. When she returned from one of her trips to Cairo, where she was taking care of her mother, she um, engaged in one particular stage production. As a child, she had been in a play, let's see if I can find that information, The Human of the Guard, which is a Gilbert and Sullivan production. Uh, that instilled in her a love of theater at the age of 11, um, and she did not, ultimately she had such a great experience doing that, she, she swore that she would not return to the theater and act again. However, when she got into her 20s, she did have one further experience, and that was in a play called Bluebeard of Unhappiness. It involved piratical characters, so Bluebeard was a piratical character. Um, but she is one of the young ladies in the front row of this shot, and that is her in her costume for that play at about age 21, 22 approximately. In 1912, uh, she first meets Archibald Archie Christie. They fall for each other quickly and are desperate to marry, although neither of them has very much money. While dating him, she volunteers with the Volunteer Aid Detachment in a Red Cross Hospital in Torquay, um, beginning in 1913. Um, Archie's uh, squadron, he was a pilot with the RAF. Archie's squadron in 1914 is sent to France. He and Angela, or Agatha meet in the Salisbury, and he tells her he does not expect to come back alive from the war. She gave basically as much as 3,000 hours of volunteer unpaid service to the volunteer uh, aid uh, detachment. Um, she began being um, given uh, training on, on drugs, on how to dispense drugs, and partway through her volunteer period, uh, she actually gained a uh, paid position uh, as a dispenser of drugs, um, and she became fascinated with the drugs um, to the point that it um, frequent, frequently featured in many of her later stories and novels. Eventually, I believe she had a total of 3,900 hours of volunteer time when she finally left the VAD. This is her first husband, Archibald Christie. He was mentioned repeatedly in the dispatches from the front for his heroism during the um, flying missions during World War I. 
and it was on one of his um, three-day leaves in December 1914 when he returned to visit her that the two of them married in his family's church. He returned to duty the very next day. They had a honeymoon night at the Grand Hotel in Torquay. It was during the period in which she was doing the VAD work that she began to write earnestly. Um, her first novel was Snow Upon the Desert, something that has never been published to this day. It basically told a fictionalized version of what life was like in Cairo and at archaeological digs um, at the time that she and her mother had been um, there. Um, it was turned down by multiple publishers. She had a family friend, the author Eden Philpotts, who agreed to give her advice. He took a look at her writing, said it had some skills, um, and agreed to serve as an intermediary to introduce her to his agent. Um, the agent took a look at her work and said, He'd be willing to represent Agatha, but he did not want to represent Snows Upon the Desert. He wanted her to write a different book, so she began writing what became The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which is the first novel to feature Poirot. Uh, it was also the first novel of hers that was published. It, it was published in 1923. Uh, this is her sister Madge. The race to be published, both in, in terms of her fiction and also her plays, was kind of a competition with her sister Madge. Madge, also, Madge was also a writer, um, and Madge had a play that appeared two years before Agatha's first play, and they had an intense rivalry despite the almost the, the 10 year age gap between their um, ages. Um, however, it was Madge uh, and the inspiration of uh, basically seeing some of the early mystery novels that were coming out of France um, at the time. Uh, Agatha thought to herself and verbally said, I believe I can write a mystery. And Madge said, I bet you can't write a mystery that I can't solve. And that was the result, was the mysterious affair at Styles. Uh, she basically ran that by her sister. Her sister couldn't solve it in the early stages, so she felt she was on the right track. Agatha and Archie's first child was born in 1919, first and only child. A cute little girl who featured prominently in her mother's promotional photos um, in the newspaper when the first of the, her novels started to gain success. In 1922, Agatha had been serving as a volunteer on a board for something called the British Empire Exhibition, which was scheduled to be um, launched a couple of years later. She had been working sort of in a secretarial type of position on one of the committees for the people organizing the British Empire Exhibition. Um, and her husband uh, was one of the major people behind it. Uh, he was led by somebody named Major Belcher, Major Ernest Belcher. Um, and as they got closer and closer to having the work done on the exhibition, they decided to go on a worldwide tour to promote the exhibition. And so Agatha, Archie, Major Belcher, and several of the other staff people went on a sea voyage that traveled all over the world, starting in South Africa. While in South Africa, uh, Agatha and Archie both learned to surf, but they learned to body surf, where you lie on the board and just paddle out and you never stand up. However, when the tour got to Hawaii, she became the first known British woman uh, to surf standing up. Um, that's how they did it in Hawaii, and she learned how to do that and brought it back with her um, to England, not that England is a hotbed of surfing. 
this um, are some other pay, um, photos from the exhibition or from the uh, tour that they went on around the world. Uh, she collected a whole bunch of wooden animals which remained on her shelves um, and are still in her ancestral home to this day. Uh, that is the exhibition guide from 1924 when it first came out. Wow, it cost one whole shilling. When her first and second books came out, uh, there was a huge publicity rush and she had lots of full page promos um, in the newspapers and magazines of the time. Her next novel featuring uh, Poirot was Murder on the Lynx. December 1926 was the next mysterious time in her life. Uh, during the time that they were working on the Empire Exhibition, one of the other women that was working on the Empire Exhibition was a woman named Nancy Neal. And after they returned from their trip, Nancy Neal was not on the trip, but after they returned, Nancy Neal and uh, Archie Christie struck up a friendship, um, initially based on the fact that they both loved to play golf, and Agatha hated to play golf. And so they would go off and play golf, and it turned into a romantic affair, unfortunately. And in December 1926, depending on what source you decide to uh, trust, the Archie and Agatha had a severe argument. Archie left to go spend the evening with his lover. Uh, Agatha was extremely distraught, and uh, as the evening progressed, uh, she was behaving oddly. She ended up leaving a note for her housekeeper, um, the, the woman taking care of, of her daughter, and disappeared in her car that evening. Her, the car was then later found miles and miles away, abandoned with uh, an expired driver's license and a valise of clothes still left in it, having slid down a ravine and crashed into a tree, and the tree is the only thing that stopped it from actually going off of a cliff. Uh, no sign of her. And it was 11 days later that her, she was discovered, but despite the fact she had only had six novels get at, um, released at that point, she became sort of one of those media sensations of the time, with headlines, all sorts of people searching rivers and lake bottoms for bodies. Uh, the local constabulary where her car was found believed that they had the right to control the um, investigation, uh, and uh, the lead investigator believed that she had been killed and that Archie had done it and would not be dissuaded of that despite um, lots of evidence from other people that uh, that would not be the case. It was not until 11 days later that a member of a band in a health spa uh, that was hours away from where the car was found recognized in the news reports that a woman uh, that met uh, the description of Agatha Christie was one of the guests there who had registered under, under another name, the last name Neil, the last name of the other woman, shall we say. And basically the police called Archie Christie to come and identify his wife when he came in um, and was sitting in a chair in the lobby of the hotel and she was coming down the stairs. It is said from some sources that she came down the stairs and showed absolutely no recognition recognition of him. Other sources say that she just continued to pretend. Uh, there have been many books and many uh, accounts of what actually happened, whether she had some sort of nervous breakdown and had a temporary sort of amnesia. Um, she, in her own autobiography and any of her personal papers, has refused to speak of it, and so there is no official account from her, uh, but other um, sources, including close personal friends, uh, have differing reports. Some believe it was a publicity stunt. 
Some believe that it was an attempt to frame her husband for what might have appeared to be her murder and, and get revenge on him for the unfaithfulness that he um, exhibited. Uh, one way or the other, however, it resulted in something that Agatha was not expecting. She did not have any idea if, if she was responsible for it. She did not have any idea that it would generate as much publicity as it did. It was sort of the O.J. Simpson um, chase and trial of, of its time, uh, and she herself was a very shy person, did not like publicity, and so this really had a, took an emotional toll on her. Sort of jumping ahead a little bit here, The Body in the Library was the first Miss Marple novel that came out in the 1927, a uh, year after her uh, Christie's disappearance. It was also the, her disappearance in the years immediately after that led her to start writing under a pseudonym, Mary Westmacott. She wrote six novels under that name. It was only when the fourth one was being published that an American reviewer somehow came up with enough information or recognized writing styles that she was um, outed as this Mary Westmacott um, and was not able to continue writing under that pseudonym secretly. She did complete two additional novels after that fourth one, but finally gave up after six. The libraries do have the entire collection. One of them is back there on the table, uh, but there is a collection with all six of the Westmacott novels um, available. Uh, they are very autobiographical. There are elements in the plots of all six of those novels that mirror things that were happening to Agatha herself, including a struggling writer who has to write to pay the bills, uh, a writer who basically is being abused by uh, publicity and people um, swarming after her. All sorts of um, elements um, in, in her life um, were sort of regurgitated into the West Maycott stories. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd was published in 1928. And if you were to read only one Agatha Christie novel, it is often said that that is the one you should read. Um, it is uh, sort of one of those books that shows up on top 10 mystery novels of all time lists. Um, basically, it uh, broke a lot of rules of storytelling, um, twist endings, uh, unexpected character developments, uh, and it, it is considered definitely one of the top mysteries um, for people who are fascinated with the genre. Uh, it was also the inspiration for the first film to be adapted um, from any of um, Agatha's properties. Uh, the film Alibi was filmed uh, for 1928 movie release. Uh, it was an adaptation by Michael Morton of the novel, The Merger of Roger Ackroyd. Um, it first was done as a play, uh, which had 250 performances, and featured the very first actor to ever appear as Hercule Poirot in any kind of production, Charles Lawton. Um, uh, he did not act in the film version alibi, he was only in the stage version, but he does um, get the credit of being the first person to perform as Poirot. The Detection Club, as said before, is a collection of uh, prominent mystery authors of that time. Um, she was one of the founding members, founding members included, but were not limited to, Anthony Berkeley, Agatha, Dorothy Sears. Ronald Knox, Freeman Wheels Crofts, G.K. Chesterton of the Father Brown fame, and more. There were a total of 18 founding members of the organization. Um, in the subsequent years, um, it has gone grown to having, I believe currently, there's about 66 um, members either passed away or still living. Uh, at one point in 1956, 
after several other of the members had served as the presidents, leading the meetings of the organizations and stuff like that, uh, she agreed to become the president um, in a vote. However, she did not want to lead any miss any meetings. She hated that kind of stuff. So she only agreed to be president if somebody else would serve as her um, co-president and lead the meetings so she could just sit there and listen. Uh, so she was basically the president of the detection club from 1956 until 1973. After getting a divorce from Archie Christie, um, several years after the disappearance incident, um, she decided to travel. And one of the things that uh, my friend had recommended was that she travel on the Orient Express. So she did. She traveled uh, to Istanbul on the Oriented Express, had a great time in the luxury of the interior of the uh, train. She visited archaeological digs when she was there, becoming friends with a, a family that um, were regular people at a dig named the Woolseys. After one year there, she was invited to come back another year, and she did. And on the second year, the Woolseys, her friends, introduced her to Max Malouin, a very young archaeologist who was working with them. Uh, Max and Agatha struck it off, even though she was 10 years older than he was. Um, and within just less than a year, he was visiting her in England, meeting the rest of her current family, and proposing to her. Black Coffee, as I mentioned before, was her first produced play. It was the one featuring Hercule Poirot. Um, she had written as many as three plays before that, which were never actually purchased and produced for the stage. It existed on the England stages for less than 200 performances altogether, so it did not have a long run, but it does have uh, the historical impact of being the first one ever produced for her. Uh, and Then There Are None is probably basically considered to be one of the best known of Agatha's novels. Uh, it was published in 1939. Uh, it has gone through multiple title variations and ultimately it was changed because of the complaints of her American publisher to And Then There Were None, which is what it has gone by ever since then. Uh, by the time it was done as a stage play, which was a very successful stage play and continues to be produced as stage plays by community theaters um, for many years after that, it was going by the name Ten Little Indians. Um, the concept in the uh, novel and the uh, play is that there is a series of ceramic figures, um, which were originally ten little Ethiopian figures and then changed to ten little Indian figures, East Indian figures, uh, which as, as the suspects or as the people trapped on a remote um, island um, keep finding each other having been killed off by one thing or another, mysteriously the ten little figures are all falling and breaking and that is where you get the title. As we enter the World War II years, uh, she has been successful in creating two ongoing protagonists with Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot to the point that with bombings beginning in London, she fears for her life. She does not believe she is necessarily going to survive World War II. So as the early years of the war continue, she writes the final novels for Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple has them put into a bank safety deposit box, survives the war, and decides that she will hold on to them and not allow them to be published until she herself has passed away. So the final novels for both of these characters, uh, Curtain features the death of Poirot, Sleepy Murder does not feature the death of Miss Marple, um, were written in 19, 
40 to 43 approximately and remained in a bank vault for years after that. She returned during World War II to her dispensary duties. Uh, she had the skills and was allowed to continue her volunteer work as a drug dispenser in the Red Cross stations and places where surgery was being conducted on wounded soldiers. During the height of her success as an author when she was making a lot of money, she and her husband bought eight properties and maintained them simultaneously. Ultimately, as she continued to near the end of her career and her life, uh, she sold off a lot of those, keeping only three by the end of her life. She said in her autobiography and in interviews that the two best times for her to write were when she took walks. So she, before owning the property by the river, would take lots of walks down country roads and all of her neighbors thought she was crazy because she was walking down the road talking to herself because she was saying all of her dialogue out loud and, and things like that. So when she finally had a property with a walk that could be along the riverside in privacy, she really enjoyed that. Uh, the other place that she thought uh, was the best place for writing was while doing the dishes. So even though they had helpers and staff to do things like that, she enjoyed doing her own dishes because she could talk her set way through out of, out of fictional problems while drying and washing her dishes. She continued to play the piano for Max, who absolutely loved it, so they would occasionally have family gatherings or close personal friends over, and she would play the piano for holiday gatherings and things like that. Um, she just couldn't do it um, in front of a crowd of people she didn't know. Everywhere she went, she never took a vacation from writing. She took a portable typewriter on every trip she was on and continued to write even while he was off doing his um, archaeological dig. In 1950, she finished working on a play called The Mouse Trap. It did not appear on the uh, West End stage until 1952. However, uh, it uh, has gone on to massive acclaim, as I've said before. It is celebrating its 66th straight year as a stage production in London. Here is the set from the original production. It is interesting to note that there are two things on this set that have not changed in 66 years. This leather chair has been reupholstered several times, but is the same leather chair from the very first performance of The Mousetrap. And on the mantelpiece is a clock. That clock has been on the set of every performance of The Mousetrap in England. Everything else, including all the couches and all the other furniture, has had to be replaced so many times because they've been used so heavily by all the different casts over the years. And it is really kind of a British tradition. If you look in the political uh, uh, humorist columns and cartoons and things like that, people make fun of the mousetrap, but it still is something that a lot of British families do every single year. It's a traditional thing, especially around Christmas time. And we had to say this during performances of Black Coffee at the Lincoln Community Playhouse. It is a mystery. There's a rule that when you go to the mousetrap, you are not to speak of the mousetrap once you leave the mousetrap, so as to not spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it 25 times already. Um, because they don't change. It's not like there's a different killer on a subsequent performance or anything. Uh, she was also the first author given a Lifetime Achievement Award from the um, Edgar Awards from the Mystery Writers of America as a Grand Master. Um, so that has gone on to have dozens of people who have received it, but she was the first to receive it. She herself, despite the success of uh, both And Then There Were None and The Mousetrap, 
finds her favorite play, her most successful play, to be Witness for the Prosecution, which is probably her other best-known one. She herself is proudest of that as a stage production. If you were to look at interviews with her about her writing, um, that is the one that she keeps coming back to as being the best of her plays, in her own opinion. The first actress to perform um, uh, as Miss um, Marple in a uh, TV or film production was the comedy actress Margaret Rutherford, which you can see with Agatha in this shot right here. Uh, she is known literally for her comedy work, and the four films that she did as Miss Marple, three of which are adaptations of actual novels and one was made up from whole cloth, do not treat the material seriously. They treat it as comedy and do not try to make a legitimate adaptation of Miss Marple at all. And you can sort of see in Agatha's sour expression what she thought of them. The, the weird thing, however, is that she liked Margaret Rutherford in other roles and in fact dedicated one of the later Miss Marple novels to Margaret Rutherford. Uh, but she could not stand the actual four Miss Marple films that Margaret did. The last appearance publicly that Dame Agatha made was at the world premiere of the 1974 Albert Finney version of Murder on the Orient Express. It is believed by scholars who have studied her writing samples um, that she was already about two years into suffering from Alzheimer's at that point. And in fact, uh, it, the family was reluctant to have her at that performance because she was already behaving erratically. Um, but uh, from about 1972 on, uh, she was suffering. And she was cared for at home. Her husband took care of her. Um, her daughter took care of her. When she died at 85, uh, the literary world went into mourning. She is buried in a small little church not too far from one of the properties where she and Max live. This is her tombstone, and on it she has a literary quote. Is not short pain well borne that brings long ease and lays the soul to sleep in quiet grave? Sleep after toil, port after stormy seas, ease after war, death after life does greatly please. She agreed or her family agreed on her behalf to allow Curtain to be published the year before she passed, so it was not posthumous. Sleepy Murder, however, was not published until after she herself had died, as was her autobiography. Uh, so it was published a year after her passing, even though it had been completed almost 14 years earlier. Black Coffee was written exclusively for the stage. It was never adapted in her lifetime to a book format. Um, it was done as a script form and could be purchased by anybody who wanted to read it that way, starting in 1930. However, it was not until 1998 that one of her biographers, Charles Osborne, who had written a lot of theater history volumes, got permission from the estate to actually adapt it into a novel form. So you can now read Black Coffee as a novel by Charles Osborne. In subsequent years, in addition to the three plays that Charles Osborne has adapted from her um, plays into novel form, um, another author named Sophie Hanna has been given the exclusive right to continue with the Poirot character and has published three of them thus far. The Malice Domestic American Mystery Convention that takes place on an annual basis instituted the Agatha Award in honor of her for best classic mystery. 
Um, they all, um, give them in a variety of categories, novel, first novel, short story, a variety of different other literary categories, but that has been going now for over 25 years. There are two marvelous busts of her available for people who are traveling in England to see. This one is right outside the Tourism Bureau in her former home where she first grew up in Torquay. Um, it is approximately a three foot tall bust. This is in London's West End where she made such a success in the theater. In fact, to this day, she holds the record of being the only female playwright to have three hit plays running simultaneously in the West End. No, no other female playwright has matched that feat, and that was all the way back in 1954, two years after the Mousetrap premiered. So, but this is a beautiful picture, and the executive director of the Lincoln Community Playhouse, Maury Enders, um, travels to England occasionally, and I managed to capture one of the images of him holding a copy of the Black Coffee script uh, while he posed with that particular bust in the West End. There are several of her home properties that have these historical markers on them in, in, in London and other surrounding communities, uh, identifying homes where she lived or did some of her writing, uh, many, much the same as when my wife and I were in um, San Francisco one time, we stumbled across uh, several historical plaques identifying American authors and the apartments that they had been living in when they wrote certain works. So this is a tradition in England as well, although they all follow this exact same blue circle style. She was made a dame in the 1956 New Year's Honors. So if you're not familiar with the tradition, the queen um, on the first day of the new year announces the people that she is giving, uh, the commander of the British Empire or the various other levels um, that you can basically receive the awards. She was um, awarded a commander of the British Empire in the queen's New Year's Honors on January 1st, 1956. In 1956, Gracie Fields appeared as Miss Marple in a TV, a U.S. television production of A Murder is Announced, which was the first time an on-screen appearance had been made of Miss Marple in 1956. 57 is when she became the president of the Detection Club. In 1958, two inmates escaped from Wormwood Scrubs Prison during a performance in the prison of The Mousetrap. She was very embarrassed at that. <laughs> Here's a quote from her late in her life as she was continuing to write the mysteries, and it, it really sort of sums up what she felt about her own personal career. Oh, I'm an incredible sausage machine, a perfect sausage machine. I always think it must end soon, and I'm so glad when the next one comes along and it's not so difficult to think of something new after all. She cranked out these mysteries with such regularity, she just sort of felt they were becoming formulaic. Which is why, if you look at the book um, about her curtain up, the Agatha Christie Theater book, she had a passion for the, the stage. She was getting to the point that she felt that the mystery novels, she knew paid the bill. She hated Poirot in the latter half of her um, years, but she, unlike Conan Doyle, who tried to kill off Sherlock Holmes by tossing him off Reichenbach Falls, uh, refused to kill off Poirot uh, during her own normal lifetime because she realized she was writing for an audience, that's what the audience wanted, she's gonna continue doing that, but she just came to the point that she found him to be an insufferable uh, egotist and, and just could not stand the character, and in fact, started introducing partner characters that could take some of the load off in some of the later stories so that Poirot would just sweep in at the very end and solve the mystery without having to be there for the whole story. 
Anyway, so 58 inmates uh, escaping from a production. Uh, 61 to 64 is when Margaret Rutherford was the actress portraying Miss Marple. She dedicated the novel The Mirror Cracked from Side to Side later to Rutherford. Of the four Rutherford films, only one, Murder, She Said, is based on a Marple novel. Two of the Marple films by Rutherford were based on Poirot novels in which Marple was substituted. And the fourth one, uh, which was Murder at Sea, uh, was Rutherford just came up with an idea all by herself and had nothing to do with anything to do with Christie. In answer to your question, she was a commander of the British Empire in 56. She was a dame of the British Empire in 1971. She refused it for several years until her husband was first given the award, uh, and he was in 1969, so she was willing to accept it after her husband received his knightship. And that carries us to my coworker at the Gear Branch Library put together a list of the 10 books that she would recommend from Christie's pantheon of, of publishing. She looked and found like 20 different sites that identified the 10 best Christie novels on the internet. This is a compilation that sort of sums up what the internet critics community believes are the 10 novels you should most likely read if you're going to read Christie. My friend Christine at Gearbranch then picked her 10. I then picked my 10. In addition to adding the other two lists are all fiction titles. I added her autobiography in the middle, her play collection, and of course, because we were just doing the plays of murderers announced in Black Coffee, I had to include both of those. Um, and then, honestly, I think Christy, in some ways, was at her best with the short stories for Marple and Poirot, and so the two collections that complete uh, all of the Miss Marples and all of the Poirots are things that I would highly recommend. Um, my coworker actually created a quick, quick plot description of the six things that show up on at least two of those three lists. ABC Murders, Poirot and Captain Hastings are on the case of a serial killer who methodically chooses a town and a victim whose names begin with the same letter, beginning with AA, BB, CC. And then there were none. Ten people are invited by someone unknown and for unknown reasons to stay on a small island, but shortly after arriving they begin to die one by one. Are they accidents or intentional? And if intentional, who is doing it and why? The interesting thing about the play, and we considered doing that one at the Community Playhouse, is that there are two endings. There is the ending that most productions use, and then there is an ending that basically is a much darker ending, which is more accurate to the novel. In the, in the stage play, it's softened a little bit. You have a survivor that is able to get off the island and say what happened. In the actual novel and in the version that she preferred to see on stage, everybody dies. <laughs> Curtain, the last book of Poirot's series in which he and Captain Hastings returned to Styles, a health club where the first book in the Poirot series took place. Despite Poirot being wheelchair bound at that time, he is nevertheless on the case of a serial killer. And it's not giving anything strong way to say that. Poirot does die in this particular novel, that's well known. However, the way in which he does and the actions that he takes before he does are shocking to anybody who has read the character previously. A murder is announced. Miss Marple visits a friend in a village whose local newspaper had an announcement that there will be a murder at a certain time and place, causing numerous neighbors to turn up, and, and the announcement proves accurate. 
The murderer of Roger Ackroyd, recently retired to a small village, Poirot, preferring to keep his profession to himself, is nevertheless recruited to solve a murder case by one of his new neighbors, the village doctor, who is also the narrator of the story. If you're familiar with Hastings as a sidekick to Poirot, in all honesty, out of 34 novels, Hastings only appears in 11 of them. And he's in a number of the short stories, but only in 11 of the novels, and so this is one that does not feature him. Uh, the shocking ending, with a shocking ending, this is considered one of mystery fiction's all-time classics. And murder on the Orient Express. While traveling aboard the Orient Express with a variety of fellow passengers, a murder on the train occurs, causing Poirot to spring into action, searching the carriages and interviewing other travelers. You will notice of the three lists, mine, my co-workers, and the Internet's, Two novels appear on both of them, or on, on rather all three of them. Admittedly, there is the ego boo of myself being in the bottom right corner of the Poirots, and the actress who played Marple for uh, Beatrice being in the bottom right of the Marples. However, these are all of the actors or actresses who have appeared in TV or film productions of any of these roles. Uh, if you have not already looked at the handout, I challenge you all to say, can you identify who that is? This was a 1974 TV oh. movie. That is Mr. Odd Couple himself, Tony Randall, from the TV oh. show The Odd Couple, who portrayed Poirot in a TV movie, which was sort of intended to be a pilot if it, it did well, but it did not do well. In fact, it was not well received at all. It's, it's done in sort of a satire. He does not play the character seriously. He's kind of a joke. This was the first guy to play Poirot in three different feature films in the 1930s. This guy played him in a 1962 pilot for a British television series that never went past the pilot stage. Of course, we have Albert Finney from Murder on the Orient Express. Peter Houstonoff, who played him in six different productions, some for feature films, and then for some reason they shifted and made the others for uh, TV instead. So three films, three TV films. Ian Holm from The Lord of the Rings and Alien played him in one movie, which basically featured, uh, it was not based on one of the novels, it featured Agatha Christie as an actual character, and he was Hercule Poirot. Christie was considering killing off the character of Poirot, and so it was Christie interacting with her own character who had to try to convince her not to kill him. Uh, this actor, I, sort of a cheat, I shouldn't have included him because he was um, the narrator of um, every single Poirot story for British audiobooks um, and radio productions, um, and he would appear as Poirot in character, in costume, when he did per, um, personal appearances, so that's kind of why I included him there. Suchet, who played the character for 24 years, uh, Alfred Molina, who appeared in a Murder on the Orient Express in 2001, which was modern, brought up to the modern era. Branagh, who just appeared at him um, in 2017, and 2019, a TV adaptation of the ABC Murders will be done with John Malkovich in the role. This is the US TV series appearance of Miss Marple. Roger Moore guest starred in that. There's Margaret Rutherford. Angela Lansbury was in one film. It's over on the table. Uh, Helen Hayes was in two TV movies. Um, one of those is over on the table. Joan Hickson, who is considered to sort of by most fans to be the most accurate adaptation or the most accurate performance. Two different British television series of recent vintage featured these two actresses. Um, the first actress appeared um, in a handful of stories and then decided she was tired of it and didn't want to continue, but the producers wanted to continue, so they replaced her with the other one. Um, we have most of the, both of those runs um, on DVD in the collection as well. Um, and with that in mind, I'm sorry, I lost my accent a long time ago. Here were the logos of our two local shows, 
And that ends our show. Thank you very much for coming. Yes. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. You can find a wide selection of our podcasts of book talks and other programs at lincolnlibraries.org slash category slash podcasts.